Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast, Forums Edition. I'm your host, Jim Reed, and I'd like to thank Website Amp and Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino uh, for being our sponsors and making all of this possible. Um, if you want to find out more about me, you can go to rec.poker slash crew, uh, where you can find out about me and all the other members of the Wrecking Crew, and including several that are here this week. Uh, Chris Jones, why don't you lead us off? Well, I am Chris Jones, spoiler alert, and uh, you can find me on 5B5 on Twitter and 5x5 on PokerStars. And I am John Somsky. I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm Keith Brandt, and I am Monkey System everywhere. Uh, and I'm Kim Kilroy. I'm Fergie56 on PokerStars and PetBet33 Pet, Pet everywhere else. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50, just about everywhere. Like I said, I'm Jim Reed, Blusterini in the home game, and because I've got the best job in the world, every week I get to hang around with this panel of rec poker wizards and talk about poker strategy. Um, it's Monday night, so we're all trying to steal each other's chips in the rec poker home game on Poker Stars. And uh, just like every week, we are going to take a post from the rec poker forums and talk about it here with the panel on the air. So. This week, I'm actually cheating a little bit. I'm taking a forum post I wrote myself, and it's not about a particular hand so much as it's about a particular spot in poker. So we're going to talk today about the strategy position of being in position on the flop, being the pre-flop aggressor uh, with about 40 big blinds. So this is a very common spot. Sky Matsuhashi refers to this as a bread and butter spot. Um, we've got position, we've got range advantage. Often we're going to open from late position and get called from the blinds. And that's the dynamic that comes up here. So the reason we're talking about this is because Gareth James from the MTT Poker Academy uh, has joined Rec Poker to do a monthly uh, strategy discussion group that's on the second Saturday of every month. So uh, the week after you hear this, this episode should come out on January 7th. And on the 15th, which is the following Saturday, is the next study group for the MTT Poker Academy with Gareth James. In that uh, one, we're going to talk about the same condition, the same situation, but on the turn. So we'll be able to build on the conversation that we have today. So I know some of uh, the gang here was in the study group with me, uh, with Gareth last month, when we talked about this in-position flop strategy. We talked a lot about flop textures, uh, board textures. We talked about the frequencies with which we, we might want to see bet. We talked about the sizings that we might want to see bet. Um, when you are playing in your own games, is there something about, like I said earlier, that it's kind of a bread and butter spot? Is there is there a spot? Is there something about this spot that you really enjoy playing, or is there something about this spot that you find is a different dynamic than another? spot in other situations is there something about this that it just makes it a good profitable spot to be in i see keith is the only person with his mic off right now or his mic on right now so or kim either one of you i, I do have my mic on yeah um are we talking about in position uh as button versus middle or in position as the pre-flop raiser from anywhere versus the big blind in the case I think of it makes Gareth's, a big difference. Yeah, great, great point. In this, in this case, we're talking specifically about being the pre-flop aggressor. 
So it is that we raised and we got called from the blinds. Because I think you're right. It makes a huge difference to the ranges if we're just calling someone else's open and we happen to be in position. Okay. So we're the preflop raiser. So we're looking at, so, I mean, that's a great, I always think that's a great time to make some chips versus the big blind on almost, on most runouts on a flop. So I would say the ones that I know of that we need to be careful of are flops that have uh, lower than three cards, lower than the nine, and that have possibilities, especially two possibilities of possible straights, um, because our out of position opponent is going to have all two pair, all straights. So if we have three strip cards that are sort of connected. They'll ha they can have a lot of that. So those would, to me, would be the worst ones. But that's so few flops that most flops we can make some money on, I think. It's a great position to be in. Yeah, you should be seabedding 80%, 90% of the time. And, and uh, just depending on the exact flop texture is whether you're going to bet big or small. Yeah, one of the things that Gareth was saying that was really interesting, I thought, and if you premium members at Rec Poker can come join these study groups, and uh, there's a great forum post here that we're referring to where Gareth breaks down three types of boards, rainbow, monotone, and flush draw boards, and then 12 board textures that really help you sort of in your own mind think about the different kind of categories of flop textures and board textures and how some of them are better for your range as the pre-flop raiser, and some of them are better for your opponent's range um, as the caller out of the blinds, which is what Kim is getting at there. So some of these like low connected flops that come like seven, six, five, that's going to interact much stronger with the uh, range from the calling player in the big blind than a flop like ace, 10, two, that is just going to be easier to connect with, with the kind of range that you'd have as the open raiser. So uh, the way Gareth does it, he's got three types of boards and 12 different board textures. Um, when, when you, gang, are playing, do you break it down that in that many categories in real time? Or do you think sort of generally about sort of like wet or dynamic boards versus, versus dry or flop boards? Or how, how particular do you get and how you're breaking them down when you're playing? It's a race. <laughs> go ahead chris i mean I, yeah i i mean i definitely do i mean i i uh definitely think about the kind of boards that that uh gareth lays out here which you know have it, uh, the boards where we have advantage the boards that are going to change radically those are going to influence um my bet sizing uh quite a bit um and then um you know the the other boards that i'm um, maybe more cautious than than I should be, but the ones that I I really hate playing in this role are these like the middle of the board really connected ones, sort of like those those ten nine eight type boards. I feel like those are um, you know, or even jack ten eight. Those kinds of boards I feel are are some that I might I might choose not to see bet on uh in certain dynamics um if if it's a if it's in a player who i think is um more capable of pushing back um you know that th there's certain big blinds that i think you can just 
see bet with abandon and then there's certain ones where you've got to you've got to pick your spots a little more carefully i i agree with that especially if it's the small blind that's called us uh because their Mm. range is going to be stronger and also if we're out of position i would sort of go along with that as well but i'm not usually afraid on those sort of as, as much on those jack 10 nine kind of boards because most of the time the big blind's not going to connect with that um, but if we've been called by an uh, in position by, by the small blind they may very well maybe playing uh, cards that connect well with that yeah that's a great point about the calling range from the small blind being a lot tighter than the calling range from the big blind where you're kind of required to defend more widely getting to close the action for a better price. So um, that is something to pay a lot of attention to. Yeah. The small blind has to worry about the big blind uh, behind them. So mm. they're not closing the action. So their range has to be a little bit tighter than, than the big blinds range. Uh, plus it costs them a little bit more than the big blind to call. I think, you know, we talked about, you know, different range or different textures or flap textures. I think a lot of that informs you how often you're going to see bet that type of flop and also the sizing that you're going to use. You know, there's some, some flops that are kind of scary uh, for the in position opener, um, you know, with possible straights. I think Kim mentioned that ones with possible straights, open ended straight draws, um, flush draws and things like that. So <sighs> there's a couple things that you can think about. One of them would be, yeah, I want to see bet this flop but I'm going to see bet a little bit smaller um, because a lot of people are going to be pretty inelastic and they're either going to, they're just going to fold regardless of the bet size. If they've totally whiffed or totally missed um, and you're going to hear about it real quickly. Now, if you're going to get check raised on one of those types of boards, it'd be easier to get away from the hand. If you've only put like a third of a pot bet in there to start with, as opposed to a two thirds pot bet. So not only the frequencies, but you also look at the bet sizing that you would use that uh, on those potentially scary flops. Yeah. Whenever I'm thinking about that, I always feel like if I'm, um, if I'm betting, the, the more of my range that's betting, the smaller the bet should be. And so in spots where I'm choosing to check behind with more hands, I should be betting bigger, even though my range that bets is still a balanced range. It's just, it's a smaller range. Um, so that uh, I, I, we won't get into exactly the the one to one math on that, but it has more to do with the, your opponent's range uh, than it does necessarily with um, with your own and how they're going to respond with with the combos that they have available to them. So I guess one thing also, you know, we talk about this being in the framework of you know a solver versus a solver. So if your opponents aren't continuing in the way that a computer might, or if they're not responding to CBETs in a way that a computer might, like most opponents, um, that would affect your own choices for how, how often to CBET or, or to what sizes. And I think people should always exploit their opponents um, and should just use GTO as a place to get started. So is there something about the games that we're playing in that would make us more inclined to CBET at a higher or lower frequency? Like, I always feel like the populations that we play against tend to raise as a bluff less frequently than would be perfectly optimized to do. So I'm generally comfortable overfolding versus population. 
in spots like that. Would that affect your, anyone on the panel here, would that affect your decision to see bet in certain times or the sizing of your see bet or anything like that? How do you exploit uh, players at our level with your see betting? <laughs> like I know we don't get, yeah, go ahead. Keith. Yeah. Uh, if you got people that are not going to three bet you enough, then, or if they're not going to um, three bet you, basically not basically not three bet enough, then you'll want to see bet more because you'll get more folds. You'll want to, especially uh, with your bluffs. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot of times you can see bet like just one big blind or just twenty percent of the pot, and they'll fold. And you can be ex- uh, exploitative because you can bet larger when you actually have a good hand, and they're going to call you or going to either way. Like, so they're going to call anyway, or they're going to fold anyway. So. And another thing I've noticed uh, quite a, a bit is you'll get you have some people who've heard that you're supposed to see bet a lot, so they'll call it you 100 percent of the time mm. just because they don't believe you, and then uh, you could exploit them by see betting and then barreling on the turn big and getting them to fold, because usually the turn is their street of honesty. With some people, the river is their street of honesty. With most of them, the turn is. Nice, I like that. That's exactly correct. Um... And I think that's something you can, you know, apply to a lot of people betting smaller on the flop and bigger on the turn that does good things to your opponent's range. Um, and that's a good, that's a good technical way to be looking at it. So I know the next time um, we talk to Gareth is going to be on January 15th. Actually, that's Martha's birthday. How about that? That's a small world. So Martha, yeah, we're going to be celebrating your birthday by talking to uh, Gareth James uh, in the study group here on Saturday. So maybe we can catch you then. Um, we'll be talking about turn texture in position. Uh, that's free for any Rec Poker Premium member. So if you can go to Rec.Poker and sign up there, use the code Rec Poker and get your first month for only $5. You can come and join Martha and the rest of the gang here for our uh, study group with uh, Gareth James, which will be a lot of fun. Um, so we'll t- take kind of take what Keith was talking about there, about betting small on the flop with a wide range and then sizing up on the turn to uh, get the most out of our opponents and get some good folds. Um, I do think sizing is really the key piece for this. When you're trying to exploit, when you're trying to play in an unexploitable way yourself, using small sizing is a way to save chips. And then um, generally deviating from it when your opponents are not going to pay attention. It's just a great way to extract max value from them sizing up and over leverage their folds by sizing down. It costs you less when you do it. Yeah, Chris. And the, the other time, I, I really like sizing up like on those sort of um, disadvantage boards. So like, you know, we're talking about like a low uh, disconnected board, like an eight, three deuce board, let's say, and we've got either, we've got a a strong holding or we're we're just, you know, trying to keep going. Those are boards that I think um, are really, even though they, they tend to maybe favor a big blind range. I like sizing up and that tends to, uh, get you some more folds and it also protects you against check raises as much. It's, it's much harder to check raise a bigger bet. Um, mm-hmm. So that's another um, reason to consider. Cause it's pretty, if you bet 25% on a board that really favors the big blind, they should be check raising you a decent number of times. Um, now they may not always do it, but it can, if you're up against an opponent who might do it, then that's going to help protect you a little too. 
Nice. Well, there's some great other posts in the uh, forum here by um, uh, Coach Gaz himself, uh, Gareth James, but also by Dan W., Chapo, uh, Eric Anderson. And um, there's a lot of really good comments in here about uh, the value of geometric pot size, um, the different kind of bet sizings that you can use on different streets to make sure that bottom chip chip goes in um, on the river. And some really good ways to think about kind of approaching your betting as a multi-street game and not just what do I want to put in the pot right now and how that can help you become a better poker player. Uh, So Keith, I think I was going to ask you to talk about your study group, but this is going to come out the day after. I'm sorry, I got the uh, I got the math wrong on the schedule. So unfortunately, I know we're meeting on Thursday like we do on the first Thursday of every month, Keith, to talk about uh, advanced poker training and your study group. Why don't you talk a little bit about that and how people can join us? Uh, all you have to do is go to uh, Monkey's Off-Table Tools group, and uh, the meetings are on Thursday uh, at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, we'll use advanced poker training. I'm going to share my screen with it because I have a subscription. And uh, then we're going to uh, play beat the bots by committee and <laughs> the last exciting. last month it was fun it and was so we're going to do it again and in the meantime you know like if we run into an interesting spot we could stop put on the brakes pull out uh range trainer pro or flopzilla or whatever other tools that we think we need to analyze the spot and talk about it and i think the basically doing uh, beat the bots by committee is a good way to learn because they, they come in with random hands and you never know what you're going to get. And, and then, uh, and then you work on it and it's fun. Yeah. And it's educational. Been, it's, it's been great. It's been a great way to get to, to think about poker with, with our friends too, and explore those different decision trees. So by the time people hear this one, the next one will be on Thursday, Feb, uh, February 3rd. So people can join for that one and you can catch videos of the previous session by joining Keith's group, the monkeys off table tools group there. So uh, let me see gang. I guess without any further ado, I would like to thank everyone who posted in the uh, forum, of course, website amp and running aces hotel racetrack and casino and Chris Jones, John Somsky, Kim, Rob, Keith, and uh, Martha for saying hi and joining us. Uh, I'll see y'all again soon folks. Take care.